Well, good morning. It's good to see all you guys on this uh, fifth week of a series that we started now a while ago that we've been calling Grow. And uh, and so if you are a guest with us this morning, if this is your first time here, like DJ said, hey, thanks so much for being here. We count it an absolute honor uh, that you would spend Sunday morning with us here. And uh, just to kind of give you a snapshot of what we've been talking about in this series, uh, Grow, we've been really talking about this, this idea of spiritual growth. Uh, we've been talking all about the importance of and instructions in how to grow spiritually. And our hope in this series has really been to take kind of an ambiguous, vague topic of spiritual growth and add some clarity and some practicality uh, to this whole conversation. How do we grow spiritually? The importance of and instructions in how to grow spiritually. Uh, the way that we've been approaching this series, again, if you are just joining us, is we've been working our way through a very, very small New Testament book, a book called Colossians. And basically, we've been kind of working verse by verse through this book uh, because this book is all about spiritual growth. It's about the importance of and instructions on how to grow spiritually. And so, as I said, this is our fifth week in this series. And, uh, and so, I want to invite you, if you can, why don't you grab your Bibles with me and let's turn to Colossians chapter 2. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning is Colossians chapter 2. So go ahead and grab your Bibles if you got them and flip with me to Colossians 2. As I said, Colossians is a relatively small book of the Bible. So if you need to look at your uh, table of contents to find it, that's not a problem. No shame in that whatsoever. Um, Also, if you did not bring a Bible with you this morning, that isn't a problem either. We have some Bibles for you in those chairs. And you can turn to page 822 in those Bibles is where you're going to find Colossians 2. And as always, let me also say that if you don't own a Bible, if you flat out just don't own a Bible, I just want you to take one of ours, make it a gift from us to you. We think it's important that you have one. Okay, so Colossians 2. And as you guys are finding Colossians chapter 2, why don't we just take a moment to ask God to help us in our time this morning as we approach uh, this chapter in the Bible. Let's do that. Well, God, I want to say thanks. Uh, it's, uh, it's so wonderful to be together here this morning and it's so awesome just to see a snapshot of the awesome things you did this week at Bible Camp and just the energy that's behind that. It's awesome. And, uh, and Lord, as we meet together in this place this morning, I ask you uh, that you would help us just even now uh, to have receptive minds, to have receptive hearts, uh, that we might be able to hear what you have to say. I pray that you would meet us here. And uh, we lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so one thing about my family that, uh, that maybe you, I'm guessing you probably wouldn't know, there'd probably be no way you would know this, is that my family, we don't, we don't have, at my house, we don't have cable, and we don't have basic channels. So we kind of do the whole Netflix thing, like a, like a lot of you guys do. And basically what that means is, it means that our kids don't really watch a ton of TV at our house, and they hardly ever see commercials, hardly ever. So one of the things my kids love to do whenever they go to my parents' house, to their grandparents' house, is they love to binge watch TV. Uh, because my parents have cable and they have all of the cool kids channels and so they will binge watch television whenever they go to my parents house and my wife and I we found it's so funny that whenever my kids get back from my, my parents house from their grandparents house they, they always talk a little differently than they did before. So for example, just a few weeks ago, Jess was doing laundry and um, our oldest son, Liam, he's six years old, he walked into the laundry room while Jess was doing laundry and he goes, hey mom, and she's like, yeah. And he's like, you know, Tide washes three times better than the leading brands. <laughs> and, and, my, and Jess is like, is that a fact? You know? and, and, or it's, it's a very common thing if we're driving down the road in the minivan for one of my boys to yell out, hey, Dad, yeah, buddy, did you know that Chuck E. Chuck e. Cheese is the place where a kid can be a kid? 
And I'm like, I, I actually did in fact know that. I think I've heard that before. And, and, and so they, they kind of speak commercialese whenever they come back from my parents. But one of the things that, that my kids love the most of all the commercials, the ones that they are totally bought into, are the infomercials. My kids love infomercials. So whenever we go to the store, we go to Target or Walmart, you know how they have that as seen on TV section where it's all the infomercial junk? My kids see that section and they go crazy. They're like, Dad, the infomercial stuff. And they know all the products by name and they know all of the selling points and they, and they, they walk me through the spiel. So they're like, Dad, pajanimals, we have to have pajanimals, you know, or Dad, the snackies, we have to have sna- the snuggie, right? Whatever it is, the sham wow, Dad, it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a chamois, it's a towel, it's a sham wow, Dad, we need it. And, uh, and they just, they know all the lingo and they're totally sold on the product, right? And my boys love it. They beg us, can we please get it? Can we please have that? In fact, for Christmas this year, they begged us for snackies. That's what they wanted more than anything. And they just love this stuff. And they're totally bought into it, which is no surprise to any of us in this room, right? Because all of us know, all of us know that infomercials are formulaically designed to make us believe that our life is incomplete without their product. Isn't that true? I actually think it's funny. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but you ever notice there is a formula to these things. They always, they always show what your life was like before the product, and it's always in black and white, and everyone is really sad and clumsy. And then they show you what, your, what, what the product, like in color, awesome music, everyone's happy. They show you what your life could be like with this product. That's what they do. In fact, I was talking about this with one of the guys on our team this week, and I asked him to put together just a quick compilation of a few of these. So let me just show you one. This, this first one here is a knife advertisement. So black and white, right? And obviously the knives aren't cutting anything. Remember how hard life was when he tried to cut bread with a doorstop? <laughs> you know? But then it goes color, right? It's color, and man, there's the edge of glory. And if you have this, then your credit card can cut things. And, and they show you how now with this product, notice everything is in color, everything cuts perfectly, everything works perfectly, and now your life is going to be complete because you have this product. It's always for the low price of $10.99. How about this one? Remember how hard it was to sit down with food before? <laughs> like, no one could get that job done, you know? And then, and then, of course, now it's in color, and they show you, oh, the table mate, this is going to change your life. And you notice when you see this, again, everything is in color. Everyone is so happy now that they have the table. It is the salute. Like, where was my life before the table mate came into to existence? And so, you know, next time you want to pull around a jug of water around <laughs> your kitchen, you ought to get one of these things. It's just hilarious. And again, it's always for the low price of whatever this next one, I think, is probably one of my favorite ones. This, okay, so you got the kids on the couch fighting over the remote control. Now watch the dad. Most unnecessary spill ever. <laughs> Ooh, whoops. You know, like, what's going to solve this dilemma? And, of course, back in color, they show you the product. It's glittery. It's amazing. It's like, oh, we have to have the couch commander. That is the solution to all of our... Our kids will get along. Our family will be at peace if we have the couch commander. And they kind of show that picture. This last one is Snackies. This is the one my kids wanted the most. And again, you see the black and white, unnecessary spills <laughs> on the carpet. And then in color, everyone's so happy. Life is perfect. And this is a formula. It's a formula. Whenever you see an infomercial, it follows this same kind of, kind of course of, you know, of, of display. It's always black and white. My life was terrible. Then it's in color. My life has gotten better. And like I said, my kids are totally sold on this. And so they're constantly like, dad, can we get this? Can we get that? Can we get this? And, and here's the thing. Let me just ask you real quick. By show of hands, how many of you have actually bought something on an infomercial and you're willing to admit it? 
<laughs> okay. So a few of us have. All right, now let me ask a follow-up question. How many of you on a, on a regular basis use the thing you bought on an infomercial? Anybody? Okay, there's one per, one, two people actually use the thing. And, I, and some of the stuff on infomercials, it can be okay, but let's just be honest. Most of it is just useless garbage, right? Most of it is just, it, it's just a, a sham. It's a sham wow, right? And uh, you buy the thing, it doesn't kind of... So one of the things that, that we're trying to do with my, with my boys right now, my wife and I, is we're trying to teach them discernment. Uh, we're trying to teach them that not everything that seems good is good. Uh, that not everything that claims that it's going to make your life better and it's going to bring you to fulfillment is actually going to do that, right? And one of the small ways that we're doing that is by trying to train them that the stuff you see on infomercials usually isn't going to be this great thing that's going to change your life and revolutionize your life and those type of things. And, and, and here, here's the reason I tell you all of that. I tell you that because we talk about this idea of maturing, of growing in maturity. And, and as it is with our kids, for those of us who have little kids, isn't it true that part of the maturation process from going to a child to being an adult is that you have to learn to be a more discerning person. You have to learn to discern that not everything is what you think it's going to be. That is a major part, part of growing in maturity. In fact, I would even argue that one of the saddest things that a, parent's, that a parent can witness, one of the most hurtful things that a parent can witness is watching their child make poor decisions, exercising bad discernment, uh, that leads to harmful things in their life. That's a hard thing for a parent to watch. Well, well, in the same way, as this is a major part of, of maturity in kind of human development, spiritually speaking, it is true as well. And what we're going to see today is the Apostle Paul is going to say, look, if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to grow spiritually, part of that process requires discernment. If you were with us, we actually said uh, in the past weeks, we said that one of the most common analogies that's used for spiritual growth in the Bible is the picture of human development. And so let me just show you the graphic that we've been looking at a little bit in the series. If you look at this graphic again, this is basically how the Bible describes spiritual maturity. We've been looking at this. And we've been saying that in the same way that, that a person, you know, human development is you begin as an infant and you grow into a child, and you grow into an adolescent, and eventually you become a mature adult. We said the Bible uses that same language to talk about spiritual maturity. That when a person uh, puts their faith in Jesus Christ, and I know not everyone in this room has done that, but when a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says we're born again, we're now babies in Christ. But here's the thing, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that isn't the end of your Christian faith. Uh, that is the beginning of your Christian faith. And so now it's a lifetime of growing in maturity, of growing up into who God wants us to become, and a major part of development, of, of coming out of childhood and growing into uh, maturity is learning discernment. And the Apostle Paul in this passage, the passage we're going to look at today, is all about an appeal for the need for discernment. So let's just take a look at it together. We're going to read 10 verses, verses 1 to 10 in chapter 2, and then we'll spend the rest of our time unpacking these 10 verses. Okay, so let's take a look. Chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says to the Colossian church, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all of those who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit, and I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm you are your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. But see to it that no one takes you captive 
through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all of the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and over every authority. Okay, 10 verses kind of laid out for us. And what we see in these 10 verses, if you didn't catch it at first glance, is the appeal for discernment. The Apostle Paul is writing to a very young church. Most of the people in this church were brand new in their faith. And he is appealing to them for the need for discernment. So what I want to do with the rest of our time, like I said, is I want to unpack these 10 verses. And I want to do that under three headings. Okay, so I just want to look at three different headings today and talk under those headings. And here they are. I want to talk about first the need for discernment, the need for discernment. Then I want to talk about the fruit of discernment. And then lastly, I want to talk about the means to discernment. Okay, just three things. So again, the need for discernment, basically the why. Why do we need discernment spiritually? Why is that necessary for spiritual growth? So let's deal with that. Second, the fruit of discernment. And what I mean by that is, what is at stake if we are not discerning people and what is in store if we are? Okay, what is the fruit of discernment? We'll talk about that. And then lastly, the means to discernment. Okay, so practically speaking, How do we actually become more discerning people the way the Bible teaches us to become more discerning people? Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about under those three headings. We're going to see it all in these 10 verses. So let's start at the top. The very first one, let's talk about the need for discernment. Now, I'm not sure if you caught this as we kind of read those first 10 verses, but one of the things that's that's very apparent when you read these verses is that that the, the Colossian church that Paul is writing to must have been under some type of threat, and that's clear because of the language that Paul uses in, in, in a couple of different paths. So let me just show you a couple of verses here. If you glance down at verse 4 again, look down at verse 4. The Apostle Paul says, I tell you this. In other words, the reason I'm writing this to you, the reason I've said the things that I've said, I've, I, I tell you this so that no one might deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Okay? So in other words, the Apostle Paul says there is a need for discernment because there are fine-sounding arguments that exist that are deceptive in nature, right? But basically what the Apostle Paul is saying is the same thing I'm trying to teach my kids. Not everything that sounds good is good. Not everything that promises it's going to deliver something is actually going to fulfill its promise. Not every person who says that they have good motives actually does have good motives, The Apostle Paul says, I don't want you to be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. There is a threat that is somehow uh, being imposed on this Colossian church. We see the same type of language in verse 8. Glance down at verse 8 with me. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and on the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now, again, if you notice, Paul is using really strong language here. A a couple times here, he says, I don't want you to be deceived. Now, the word deceived in the original language is a super strong word. It literally means trapped or tricked. It's actually the same word that was used for a fishing lure. He said, listen, I don't want you to be tricked. I don't want you to be trapped. I don't want you to be lured in. If you notice in verse 8, the word he uses, he says, I don't want anyone to take you captive. And the word to take captive, again, really, really strong word. It literally means kidnapped. It's this idea of someone stealing you away from your loving parents to, to take you and manipulate, them, manipulate you for selfish purposes. That's the language that the Apostle Paul is using. So, so basically what we see here is there was a need for discernment. Paul says there is a threat 
that is imposed on this, 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 this church of very, very young Christians that exists here. You might notice in verse 8, he kind of elaborates on that threat. He says, this hollow and deceptive philosophy that depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. Some of you might be like, well, what in the world is that talking about? That sounds really strange. Well, let me just real quick give you a snapshot of what was going on in the Colossian church when the Apostle Paul wrote this. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, you might remember the, the letter of Colossians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison in Rome to this, this first century church full of new believers in a place called Colossae. Colossae is in modern day Turkey. And the Apostle Paul is writing this letter, and one of the major reasons that he's writing this letter to this church, he's actually never met these people, one of the major reasons he's writing this letter is because there was the threat of false teaching that was being imposed on this church. And again, if you've been with us in the past few weeks, you might remember this false teaching came in the form of something called the Judaizers. Uh, there was another group called the Gnostics, group of false teachers. And there's another group of people who worshiped angels. And uh, if you want more details on that, we don't have time to get into it. We actually talked about it in weeks previous. But essentially, if I could condense down for you what all of these false teachings had in common, it was this. They all had one thing in common. They all taught Jesus Christ is not enough. That's what all of them taught. Jesus Christ is not enough. If you want to find fulfillment in this life, if you want to find satisfaction in this life, if you want to find deep abiding joy, peace with God and peace in relationships, Jesus Christ is not enough. That's what all of these taught. They taught Jesus plus something else. So for example, the Judaizers basically taught, you follow Jesus, that's awesome, but he's not enough. It needs to be Jesus plus man-made religion. You have to have human traditions and religious practices. It is Jesus plus something else. Jesus Christ is not enough. The Gnostics, some of you might remember we've talked about these guys before. The Gnostics basically believed that the key to finding peace with God and fulfillment in life came through intellectual ascent. You had to achieve some type of enlightenment in some kind of mystical sense. That's what they believed. And so basically they said, you believe in Jesus, that's awesome, but it's not enough. You need Jesus plus intellectual ascent. Jesus plus mysticism. The people who worshipped angels, they said, you, you believe in Jesus? That's awesome. It's not enough. You need Jesus plus all of these other divine powers, these other spiritual powers that exist in your life. And basically, all of the teachings had this one thing in common. They said, Jesus Christ is not enough. And the Apostle Paul says, you need discernment because they're trying to steal you away uh, from the author and the perfecter of your faith who is Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. The situation I just told you about was nearly 2,000 year, years ago on the other side of the world in this place called Colossae. But I would argue that today, even though we're 2,000 years separated from that, that even though the facts have changed, the circumstance is very similar. I mean, isn't it? Just think about this for a minute. For those of us who follow Jesus in this room, and I know not everyone in this room follows Jesus. Some of us are still investigating that. But for those of us who follow Jesus, what is it that we believe? Here, here's what we believe in a nutshell. We believe that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's what we believe. We believe that Christ is God's solution to the human epidemic, that our sins are forgiven, that full, fullness of life is found, that all secrets of riches and knowledge and wisdom are all found in Jesus Christ, that in Jesus Christ, we have everything that we need for life and godliness. That is what we believe. We believe that there's nothing more glorious. We believe there's nothing more worthwhile than knowing and following Jesus. That's what we believe. That's what we believe as Christians. But isn't it true, isn't it true that in today, in our day and age, there are so, we are bombarded by so many different teachings that tell us that Jesus isn't enough. 
Jesus isn't enough. You want to find real fulfillment in life? You want to find real success in this life? You want to find deep abiding joy? You want relational peace? You want peace with God? You want victory over the troubles that you're facing? Jesus isn't enough. He's not enough. We hear this all the time. And it comes in, it might not come in the form of Gnosticism and it might not come in the form of the Judaizers and their teaching, but it comes in various forms. We are told this often. We are told, oh, you follow Jesus? That's great, that's great. But if you want true happiness and true satisfaction, well, then you need hyper-intellectualism. Then you need need sensual indulgence. Follow your heart, follow your desires, sexual liberation, sexual freedom. That's where true fulfillment is found. Jesus Christ is enough. We're We're told that true fulfillment is found in the accumulation of more stuff, amassing more wealth, amassing more material goods. We're taught in the pursuit of, of, of um, career success and notoriety, that somehow that's where we're gonna find true and lasting joy, deep abounding joy, whatever it might be. We're told this all the time, that Jesus Christ is not enough. And what the Apostle Paul says is he says, listen, I don't want anyone to deceive you and I don't want anyone to take you captive into thinking that there is anything more glorious or there is anything more worth your worship than the person of Jesus Christ. There is nothing in this life that is going to fulfill you like Jesus, is what he says. So there's a need for discernment. There is a need for discernment in the Colossian church. There is a need for discernment in our church too because we are bombarded with this thinking that it's Jesus, but it's gotta be Jesus plus something else if you really wanna find satisfaction in this life. And so Paul reveals to us there's a need for discernment. There is a need for discernment. I don't want you to get ripped off. I don't want you to buy some useless junk on an infomercial because it promises that it's gonna deliver something that it simply can't deliver. That's what Paul's saying here. But not only does he show us the need for discernment, the Apostle Paul actually goes on to tell us the fruit of discernment. In other words, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us what's at stake if we, are, if we don't practice discernment and what's in store if we do. I want you to notice with me just verse 8, 9, and 10, some really powerful verses. Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy that depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and every authority. It's interesting. In these three verses, I don't know if you noticed, but the Apostle Paul uses two words very intentionally. And I just want to point them out to you. The first one I want you to notice is up here in verse 8. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Okay. Now compare that to what he says about Jesus in verse 9 and 10. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. So you see these two terms Paul uses. He says, one road leads to hollow, deceptive philosophy. It is hollow. The other road leads to fullness. I believe the Apostle Paul is using these two words, which are opposite in juxtaposition to each other, to help us understand the destinations that these two pathways take us to, right? He says, listen, I don't want you to be held captive by something that's going to promise it's going to deliver something, but in the end, it's going to lead to emptiness. It is hollow. We all know what hollow means, right? Hollow is when something has the appearance of substance, but inside it's empty. It's something that you pursue, you go after because you think that it's going to do something for you, but then when you get there, you realize there's no substance at all. There's nothing there. It's hollow, right? And you guys, when I read this, i I'd just be honest with you, what went through my mind was the hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of stories that I have heard, and I know you have probably heard too, you could probably tell me stories 
of people who have given their lives, have given all of their pursuit, have given all of their energy and all of their attention and all of their affection to pursuing something that they thought was going to bring them ultimate fulfillment, but in the end, they looked back and said it was hollow. Endless amounts of stories that goes this way. We could be here all day telling story after story of someone who has pursued something and it ended up being hollow. We won't do that. I'll be here all day for that. But let me just give you a few. One of the first ones that came to my mind when I was thinking about this idea of hollow philosophies uh, was uh, the story of Marcus Person. Uh, some of you guys might be familiar with Marcus Person. If you ever heard of him, uh, I guarantee you've heard at least what he's responsible for. Marcus Person was the brilliant mind who, mind who is behind the game Minecraft. Uh, he was the one who invented Minecraft, designed Minecraft. It is a game that children and adults love alike. And uh, an awesome, awesome game. But Marcus Person took his game, Minecraft, a couple years ago and turned around, he was 35 years old, turned around to Microsoft and sold his game for $2.5 billion. Not $2.5 million, $2.5 billion. And here this young man, 35 years old, overnight, went from being basically a nobody to being in the headlines of every major magazine. He was in Forbes. He made the headlines of every entrepreneurial magazine that exists. He was hailed as a legend. He was held up as an icon. Everyone's like, you want to be like this dude. This dude, this dude, he built this awesome game, turned around, sold it for $2.5 billion. He's young. He has all of his youth ahead of him the rest of his life. He doesn't have to work another day for the rest of his life. He went around, he turned around, he took his $2.5 billion, he bought a $70 million, $70 million mansion in Hollywood, spared no expense. He literally has cases of Don Perignon in his basement. And then on one of his walls, you can actually find pictures of this online, on one of the walls in his mansion, he built a candy wall. I just want to show you, I actually got a picture of it, check this out. That's his candy wall. The dude built a candy wall in his house. And I've been trying to convince the elders of the church that we need one of those out here. <laughs> they seem to tell me that's not a good idea. But I'm like, but dude, he's got a candy wall. And, and, and listen, from all, from all worldly and earthly vantage points, we would look at a guy like this. And, and all the magazines do. We would look at him and we'd say, now that, that is the pinnacle of fulfillment. He's got youth, he's got money, he's got a $70 million, $70 million mansion, he's got a candy wall. Guy's got everything he needs. But it's interesting, it's interesting. When you actually read what Marcus says about his experience, he has a lot to say about it. There was a, uh, last August, there was an entire uh, Twitter thread that came out from Marcus that just tweet after tweet talking about how meaningless his life was, how much he regretted selling Minecraft and he wished he could take it back. I'll just give you a couple of the tweets that he tweeted out. I thought this was incredible. He said this. He said, the problem with getting everything is that you run out of the reasons to keep trying and human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. He's like, I have everything I want. I have it all. I have everything I've been chasing after. And he's like, and it's hollow. It's hollow. It's empty. Here's what he said in another tweet. He said, I'm hanging out in, Eviva, in Ibiza with a bunch of friends, partying with famous people, able to do what I want, and I've never felt more isolated. Here's a guy that for most of us we would look at and we'd say, he's got it all. And he would look and say, I have nothing. It's hollow. It's empty. It's, there, there's, there, there's no, it looks like it has substance. And many of, many of us in our hearts maybe believe that if we had those things, our life would be better We'd be more fulfilled, that that would be the key, the ticket to somehow finding fulfillment. And here's Marcus saying, no, don't do what I did. 
don't do what I did. It reminds me of uh, a few, a uh, couple months ago, Clark was preaching up here, and he, he talked about something Jim Carrey said one time, and I thought it was wor- worthwhile bringing it up again. Jim, Gar- Jim Carrey said this. He said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. But Jim Carrey, here's a guy who chased after success, chased, chased after wealth in his field and in his industry, achieved it, said it's not the answer. It's hollow. I wish everyone could find out. I wish everyone could get to the end of, of, of success and fame to realize how empty and how hollow it is. And listen, it's not just Hollywood actors and it's not just wealthy people who, who feel this way. In every arena of life, anyone who has said, I am chasing something as the ultimate point of fulfillment, whenever they get there, and it's, and it's not Jesus Christ, whenever they get there, they almost always say the same thing. This isn't worth it. Uh, Bertrand Russell one of the most famous agnostic philosophers of the 20th century. When he got to the end of his life, he wrote an autobiography. And if you read that autobiography, you know what he says? And he doesn't say it like this because he's way smarter than me. But basically he says this. He says, listen, I've invested my whole life in philosophy and the whole thing is a sham. It's all a sham. It's all an infomercial. It's a sham wow, right? I bought the thing. I bought into the thing and I came to realize that it's nothing. It's useless. That's what he says. It's King Solomon. If you ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, here's a man who chased after every sensual indulgence that a man can chase after. The dude had over 1,000 sexual partners. Between wives and concubines, he had enough women in his life that he could have, he could have sexual interactions every night for nearly three years with a different woman. And yet when he gets to the end of his life and he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, you know what he says about all of it? Meaningless. Chasing after the wind. It's pointless. And, and listen, over and over again, you hear this story of people that chase things that they think are going to fulfill, and ultimately they find out that it's hollow, that it's empty inside. And one of the things that I've been trying to do to practice discernment in purchasing, um, I do a lot of my buying on, on Amazon, like many of you do. And one of the things I do all the time now is I always read the consumer reviews. I'm sure you do the same thing. And if you think about it, what is a consumer review? Well, a consumer review is nothing more than a person writing a review And it's a person who has the thing that you want. And they're telling you whether or not you should buy it or not. And I'm just saying, whenever I read stuff like what what Marcus Person said, or what Jim Carrey said, or what Bertrand Russell said, or what King Solomon said, whenever I read that, what I'm reading is a customer review. These are guys that are saying, look, I have the thing that you want. I've got, I've, I've achieved the thing that you're trying to achieve. And let me give you the customer. You know what all of them say? All of them say the same thing. They say, one star don't do this. Don't buy this. And the Apostle Paul comes in here and he says, look, man, I don't want you to be taken captive by some deceptive philosophy that's going to cause you to waste your life. You're finally going to get the thing to find out that there's nothing in it. It's totally hollow. It's totally empty. And so you look at Paul and he says, there's a need for discernment. He says, but there's fruit to it as well. Because I want you to notice, compared to the empty hollowness that comes in things that are outside of Christ. I want you to notice what he says about Christ. Look what he says if you glance down with me again at verse 9. He says, for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He says, you want fullness? Not hollowness? Not emptiness? Fulfillment? Peace with God? Peace with others? The, the, the true deep abiding joy? You want that? He says, it is all in Christ. It is in Christ. Making him 
your first priority, making him your first affection, making him your first pursuit in life. It is all found in Christ. You know what's awesome? It's whenever you read the consumer reviews of people who have given their life to knowing Jesus and making him known, it is a totally different story than, than when you read these other guys, totally different. For example, the Apostle Paul. You know, the Apostle Paul, here's a guy who, who left um, religious, you know, he was, he was one of the most religious, most, uh, most, most disciplined guys in, in, in all of Judaism, left all of that to pursue Jesus. And, you know, he writes a customer review on that decision to follow Christ and to make Christ known. And you know what he says? You know what his customer review is? Let me just read it to you. This is in Philippians chapter three. He says this. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. And the word garbage there, some of you might know this, in the original language, it's the word excrement. And he says, I, I consider it all excrement compared to, to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus that I might know and gain Christ. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, I've given my life to Jesus. I've made that my, my primary pursuit to know Christ and to make him known. He says, here's my consumer review. I count everything else as garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. And you guys, he writes this, by the way, from prison. This, this review is not written from a $70 million mansion with a candy wall, all right? It is written from prison. The Apostle Paul is in prison. Most likely, he's probably chained to some big dude named Marge, right? And so here he is, hanging out in prison, writing this letter, and he's like, this is where following Jesus has got me. And you know what he says? He says it's the best. It is the best. There's nothing better than knowing and following Jesus. And as paradoxical as that might seem, the apostle Paul says that's where it's found. That's where it's at. It's found in pursuing Christ. And it's not just Paul who says this, by the way. All the disciples, all the disciples who gave their life for Jesus Christ came to the same conclusion. They were all, they were all confronted with the option. You either choose Christ and die or you deny Christ and live. And every single one of them said, I choose Christ and I die because Christ is life and there's nothing more valuable than him. And all throughout the centuries, men and women who have given their life to following Jesus and made that the primary pursuit of their heart has found this to be true. Fullness is found in Christ. And listen, some of you this morning have found that to be true too. Maybe for you, you have found in your life there have been things that you have pursued with all of your time, with all of your energy that you thought were gonna bring you success, were gonna bring you fulfillment, and then you got them, and it didn't deliver, and it was hollow, and it was empty. Maybe you've found that. Maybe for some of you, you're finding that right now. Right now, you're pursuing something rather than Christ that you think this is the ticket to happiness, this is the ticket to joy. If I just had this, then I would be happy, and you're finding that it's not delivering. It's leaving you empty and it's leaving you. Why is that? Why is that? It's because fullness is only found in one place. It's found in Christ, is what Paul says. So Paul shows us our need for discernment. He shows us the fruit for discernment. But then lastly, what I want to show you is he also explains to us the means to discernment. So how do we actually become more discerning people? If the Bible, if the Bible says that in order for us to grow spiritually into maturity, we have to become more discerning people, well, how do we do that then? How do we actually become more discerning people? Well, I want you to notice if you look down at verse 2, verse 2 and 3, uh, the Apostle Paul is actually going to tell us. He says, my goal is that you might be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
Okay, so here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, you want, you want true discernment? You want to find true wisdom and you want to find true knowledge in this life? He says, all of it is found in the person of Jesus Christ. It's all found in a deepening relationship and a deepening understanding and in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a deeper connection with the person of Jesus Christ. Pursuing Jesus to act like, to think like, and to be motivated like, like Christ, as Paul says, this is the ticket, this is the secret. This is the mystery of God where all wisdom and all knowledge is found. As paradoxical as that might seem to some of you, the apostle Paul says, that's it, this is it. That's why he goes on, if you look at verse six and seven, he says, so then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up, strengthened in your faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. You see what he says? He says, just like you came to Christ, he says, I want you to continue to stay rooted in Christ. Don't get off onto something else. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's Jesus plus nothing. And if it's Jesus plus nothing, it means you have everything. That's what Paul says. And so, and so what is the key, what is the means to discernment? Well, here's the means to discernment. It is an ever-increasing knowledge and love for Jesus. And the more that we do that, the more we'll understand truth and the more discerning we'll become. At the risk of uh, overusing an analogy that you probably have heard before, you may have heard this, I don't even know if it's accurate or not, but it's a good analogy. Um, you've probably heard this idea that uh, whenever they try to train bankers and people who work with money on a regular basis to identify counterfeit, uh, what they often do is rather than trying to, to educate them on all the different types of counterfeit that exist, what they do is they have them study the original currency so well that they know it backwards, forwards, sideways, all that. They just know it so well that whenever they see something counterfeit, they can identify it immediately. But I think it's the same way spiritually, that if you really want to find true discernment, it's not about studying all of the different types of false teaching that exist. It's all about knowing and growing in the person of Jesus Christ. You get to know the real thing, the authentic thing, and then you'll be able to point out anything that is in opposition to that. And so it's all about growing in a depth of Jesus. It's about growing in your relationship, making him the first pursuit of your heart. Now, some of you right now, you might be thinking, okay, so it's about knowing Jesus more. I get that. But how do you do that? How do you, how do you deepen a relationship with Christ? How does that actually happen? And you know, the answer is actually super practical. There are very practical ways you can do this. One of them, Clark mentioned last week, but it's worth mentioning again, is that if you want to grow in your knowledge of Jesus and you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, a major part of that is partnering together with other people who, who make, who, whose life ambition it is to know and grow in Jesus, right? This is what the church is all about. This is what biblical community is all about. Um, I've said it before, but it's worth saying again. We say this at Grace Church. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. There's just not. Biblically speaking, uh, Christianity is never intended to be a solo sport, so this idea that all I need is just me and Christ and I just go in the woods and have a relationship with him, that is not biblical for a moment. And so, so listen, if you're a person that is, not, that is not engaged in biblical community, if you don't have friendships that are founded on this relationship with Jesus Christ, you are forfeiting one of the greatest means that God has designed for you to grow. You're forfeiting it and you're forfeiting your own maturity as a result of it, okay? So one of the ways that we grow in our knowledge of Christ and we grow in relationships is in community. We do this together, we grow together. And one of the other reasons, probably one of the most practical ones, is this, is we read the Bible. We, we grow in an ever-growing, deepening understanding and pursuit of this book. And, and listen, I don't know how to say this any other way. That might sound cliche, but it is impossible to grow spiritually 
without a deeper pursuit of knowing this book, the book of the Bible. And the reason is because of what Jesus says about it. You know what Jesus says about the Bible? Let me just read to you what he says in John chapter 5. He says to the Pharisees, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you'll have eternal life. He says, but all of the scriptures testify to me. Jesus says, you want to know me? You got to know the Bible. The whole thing is about me. The whole thing. In Acts chapter 24, uh, I'm sorry, not Acts, in Luke chapter 24, Jesus is walking with a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus, and the Bible says he takes them through the entire Bible, and he shows them how everything in the Bible, Old Testament and New, points to him. He's like, you want to know me? You have to know my word. You have to know my word. And as you do that, you'll get to know me more, and you'll be a more discerning person. You know, the Reveal study was a study that was done a few years ago by a church called Willow Creek. And they studied over 2,000 different churches across America to try to figure out how do people grow spiritually. And you know what they found? They found that reading your Bible, regular time in this book, is twice as catalytic as any other discipline in helping you grow spiritually. All right? And of course, that study just revealed what the Bible already teaches us. Listen, it is a good thing to read Christian authors. It's awesome to read C.S. Lewis. It's okay to read other Christians. There is no substitute whatsoever for getting in this book and knowing Jesus Christ. And so if you're not growing in a deepening understanding of the word, if the only time you crack open your Bible is when you come here on Sunday morning, that's not gonna cut it. And I'm not saying that because I'm, I'm saying, you know, you need to be more disciplined and this is your religious duty. I'm saying that because it's all about knowing Jesus. And if you know Jesus and you grow in your relationship with him, you will become a more discerning person and you will grow spiritually. God wants us to be discerning people. He wants us to be discerning. There's a need for it. And there is fruit that comes with it. And the means to it is ultimately by knowing Jesus more, pursuing him more, making him the primary pursuit of our heart. And that's what God desires for us as we grow spiritually. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I want to say thank you so much for your words to us this morning. And uh, Lord, it's amazing to me um, just to think that uh, in you, in Christ, uh, is everything we need. That Jesus plus nothing equals everything. God, I just pray that you would, you would even reveal in our hearts right now, in these moments as we worship and we sing, I pray that you would just do work in our hearts. Help us to see, is there anything else that we, that we count more glorious and more worthy than you? Is there anything, any pursuit that we believe will bring us more fulfillment than you? And God, help us to be honest in our own hearts with that. And, uh, and Lord, I pray that you would help us just to confess to you whatever we see whatever you bring to our attention, what else, what else do we need but you? And Jesus, I pray for those of us who follow you this morning, help us to be convinced and to confirm in our hearts that if we have you, that if we have you, we have what we need. They're, they're, they're all the striving of this life, all of the earning, all of the, all of the, the pursuing, Father, that there's nothing that's worth pursuing besides you. You, you, are the, you are the most glorious and the most worthy thing in this life. And so I ask you, Father, that you would just awaken in our hearts a renewed sense of uh, love and, and passion for you, that we would count you more worthy than anything else that this life has to offer us. Because honestly, anything else this world has to offer us ends up being hollow. It promises fulfillment, but it leads to nothing. It leads to emptiness. And many of us have found this as we've tried to pursue wealth or success or relationships or whatever it might be, not that those things are in and of themselves bad things, but when they become the primary pursuit of our heart, 
But Father, they end up becoming hollow things that don't deliver on what they promise. So Father, I pray that you would help us not, not to be deceived. Help us not to be led astray. Help us not to be held captive by empty philosophies, but to find out that it's all found in you, Jesus. That if we have you, we have what we need. For the person this morning who might not know you, I ask you, uh, God, that even today you would reveal yourself to them. Help them to see the surpassing worth of, of following you, that they might give their life to you today. So Father, we want to lift these things up to you. I want to ask it in the good name of Christ. Amen.